0: Out here in the perimeter, there are no stars. Out here, we is stoned, immaculate. Hello and welcome. This is the C86 Show. I'm David Eastor. As you know, we love a special guest. This week, it's going to be the turn of Chris Matthews, who was once in a band called Shudder to Think a few years, decades ago, but has just um, resurfaced again and is now in a new combo, an indie rock trio called quiz show and they've got a new album out with members who have been in such bands as guided by voices the Danbusters, busters and various other groups but i'll give you the link of um, the album below and the band so you'll find out some more information but this is the interview with chris so after several minutes of interesting but casual chat we get down to that exciting subject that was the early formative years chris it's over to you
1: uh it's an excellent question. I I think I did. Uh it's I'm I'm just a little bit younger than you, but I think you were maybe more precocious than me. I was born in 1965 and I feel like I was I missed everything you just talked about when I was growing up. I you know learned about it later. So I was more of a late 70s kind of kid and I remember very clearly discovering music and it was probably a combination of Pink Floyd and Blondie and well, there's and Talking Heads, all right. that stuff was on the radio. I mean, that was just the radio, you know, so that's why you put those people. There. I mean, Blondie and Talking Heads go together. But I kind of figured it out. It's like, hey, I like this stuff. And then I got into it a little bit more and then discovered the really wonderful thing about being able to play guitar. I just said, I want to learn how to play guitar. So I did. and uh had some, you know, lessons and all that and, you know, learned how to play guitar. And that's when it was the guitar teacher I had, who told me, you know, you like, okay, music, but you should listen to Jimi Hendrix and Led Zeppelin. And, and I was like, okay, I do like this. And then I moved from that into, uh, so I kind of got into a heavier thing, but I still like the other bands that kind of came along for me were um, XTC and, even Devo in that era. Do you know that record, Erg, A Music War, that came out in like 1981 or something? No. A it's a compilation of like XTC, Devo, Steel Pulse. Who else is on there? Echo and the Bunnymen. Uh, it's kind of a new wave thing, you know. Uh, I'm not sure. I don't think Talking Heads was on. It. I think they're already too big. But it was. It was that was transformative. That was when I was like, oh, you can make music, and it's interesting, and it's not what you hear on the radio. And then yeah. I discovered they made music right in my hometown. I grew up in Washington D.C., which is how I got connected with all, all that music.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So that compilation was called the music
1: U R G H exclamation point. And then I believe it was called a music war. A music and war. And I believe you can find somebody on Spotify has created a spot uh, has played uh, has recreated the record as a playlist.
0: So we love those people. They're so useful. Yeah. But look, did you did your parents were they kind of a tall musical? Did they give you any? Did they have the record player on and were sort of? Oh,
1: uh, my dad listened to Frank Sinatra. And so that's not, if that has made an impact on me, I, I haven't noticed. No, I haven't. not so much. No, it was really just being <laughs> me, me with the radio and then just kind of following, like, this is where I want to go.
0: Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And then, I mean, because often the other thing that kind of happens is older brothers or sisters that can have a bit of an influence. Did, uh, did you, Good point. Did good, point.
1: good point i guess a band that i neglected it was the beatles and that i got from my sisters two older sisters who are actually nine and 11 years older than me so they're they're uh you know um not of my generation really but they were i think yes now I remember they were like oh you like music and they gave me they gave me that beatles record that has all the hits on it from like 67 to 70 or something like that as a present And indeed, I listened to it a lot. I loved listening to records. It was... Yes, Uh,
0: absolutely. Mm -hmm. So what was the first concert that you went to? What was the first kind of live experience? The Kinks.
1: (laughs) In the late 70s. God, I can't remember what their album they were uh, touring. You know, it was like a whatever. It was not an album that anyone knows, you know, because it was... It's a miracle they were still making music but i definitely loved that show
0: yes well yeah. the, the first one is always kind of mind-blowing because it's just yeah. the, the size the spectacle the noise yeah. the kind of anticipation mm-hmm. i do remember in the 80s the early 80s they they had a some sort of comeback and they had a strange slightly cheesy song about come dancing or you know it was um it was just on the radio a bit and i remember you know because we heard a lot about the kinks you know being this mm-hmm. great band and this single came out and it was just so nothing really you know <laughs> and the album obviously has died a day yeah. but um yes it was something about some mm-hmm. ray davis singing about some nostalgic idea of kind of ballroom dancing of in the la- in the early years so um yeah that came and went so when you hit 16 which would have probably been about 1981 did you yeah. stay on at did you stay on at college or did you kind of leave at that stage
1: uh no i stayed on um i went to college well i well i didn't go directly to college i was finished high school i was 18 and then i took a year off to, to be in a band which was not the band that became shutter to think but it was the year i discovered the guys in shutter to think and uh then i went to college in my hometown because i was balancing growing up and being in a band yes and, uh and and i could and uh you know like our Charter to think what became Charter to think they were all there i didn't really want to leave well actually no i stayed. I can't remember now, I'm mixing up my years, But yeah, that's kind of the story. So I stayed in town to play music and, and to go to college.
0: And yeah, absolutely. It's a good combination. Because we had sort of that, you know, this is more the UK, really. But there was the, the punk period, which lasted yeah. about 18 months. And then there's a post-punk period as well bands like the gang of four and um magazine right. and then there was other such bands like the fall and you know the nightingales mm-hmm. bands like that which were a bit scratchy and a bit more avant-garde and then sort of this is a major moment in the 80s got 82 83 suddenly i put a new chapter it was indie pop let's face it how mm-hmm. excited the smiths came along and things you know slightly got reset and there was definitely yeah. a scene so what 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 was the kind of the atmosphere and, and and sort of general vibe like in that kind of period for you? Because I know, you, the, you know, Shudder the Think hadn't formed by then, but was kind of right. 83, 84. Was, were things changing for you in in college town America?
1: Uh, yeah, I think that was about the time of R.E.M. And like I say the B-52s because they come from the same town in Georgia. And certainly I remember the Smiths came to DC and I was working at the venue just lit, you know, they would hire people to load in and out. So, and, uh, but that was sort of also at the moment for me where I was moving more towards, you know, punk real, you know, hardcore, but I was never really a hardcore kid. I was always more than I wanted, but um, that kind of thing. So while that, that was going and you get like sort of mid arena fans like the Smiths and R.E.M. coming in, I wasn't paying a ton of attention to them. And also I was still probably halfway still wishing I'd be in what we now call a classic rock band, you know, learning how to play guitar solos and stuff like that.
0: <laughs> oh, right. So so yeah. when you you had a secret fondness for Bon Jovi at this stage and yeah, not Smith. Bon Jovi,
1: but definitely Van Halen. So <laughs> <laughs>
0: God, what a thing to confess. So then what happens kind of 85 86 this is the kind of the the moment Shutter mm-hmm. to think forms so the guys have been in other bands what what was the kind of moment that sort of brought you together in that initial phase
1: well i think yeah i had played i was in another band that i in when i decided to not go away to college i was like i'm going to try being a musician and stay in town and that band was called 321, and it was more of a new wave kind of thing. But I became friends with Stuart, who's the bass player in started to Think, uh, because we worked together. And then we he was in a band called Stooge, S T U with an umlaut G-E. Uh, and uh we played a show together, and um it was a real and I, and we actually played a show. The other band was Lunch Meet, which became Soul Side, which became Girls Against Boys. Um, So it was a lot of, it was a fun show for that. And I really liked what all the other bands were doing. And I was like, you know, it was a a much more original, much more, um, you know, passionate and and emotional and energetic and all that. So I gravitated over the year towards playing. I started playing with Stu in that band, Stooge, because their guitar player was hit and miss. And he was excited to have me in the band. And then we, uh, and that band came with Mike Russell, who's the drummer of Shutter to Think. And then um, we f- Craig went to the same high school I did. And that's how the four of us came together. But during that time, it was me, that was when I discovered the Discord music and, you know, the bands that um, had been minor threat that had become things like Embrace and, and Dagnasty and Beefeater. And all that. just it was just, to me, they became the combination of Heroes, but also there they are. You know, watching the shows when they're not playing in them, right next yes. to me. That, that that's that was a transformative event because it's no longer, you know, the guys on the stage in the arena that you would never see, ever in person, to being like standing right next to the person who would just played. Because you know that's how it would, that's how it works: small, intimate, and you know, just the community of people.
0: Yes, and did you mm-hmm. find that the the chemistry of the band? um come you know come together quite easily did did you all have a a kind of a, a shared kind of vision and a, and a sort of a came you know a vibe that sort of meant that you got a to sound together quite quickly
1: I think we got a to sound together because of uh sort of the mixed up people we were um none of we're all kind of into like the dc hardcore scene we thought it was great but none of us really wanted to play that nor were we probably any good at that we just wanted to play something like it and so um you know i come from like i was saying like a little bit more of a classic rock kind of heavy guitar i loved having a les paul and a marshall and i still do uh stewart was much more of the hardcore kid he was the youngest and well he wasn't the youngest craig was younger but uh, he was came from dc grew up in the same neighborhood as all the other discord guys so he really wanted to do that mike russell was older than us and just wasn't going to be a hardcore drummer he was like i'm going to do that we're going to play how i want to play and then craig threw everything and uh, threw a wrench in everything because he's such a unusually talented and Uh, you know kind of strange musician there's something going on in his head that's really going on in no one else's (laughs) and so trying to play pieces trying to put us together I think we were all trying to do the best we could at what we wanted it to be and it just became the result of that like salad of influences and desires and really it took a lot of years for us to kind of find what I think is a sound not to say that we didn't have a sound it was just messier and less Less defined. And then it was really just in the last record that I was on that we really, I think, found out who we were. Plus, we had matured enough and were considering really doing this as a job rather than just a thing you were doing while you were a kid.
0: Yes, because then you became very prolific at this kind of late 80s period, which is quite interesting Mm -hmm. because it's kind of 87 is kind of then that kind of moment that things start to happen, which is in the UK. And again, this is a slightly sweeping statement, but um who, who, who cares who stopped anybody making sweeping statements? <laughs> but, you know, for me, you know, the Smiths break up in 87 and then ecstasy comes along and then there's that kind of new kind of, I suppose, the new wave of, you know, 16 to 18-year-old kids coming along wanting their... Sound and I think that that kind of new chapter is quite mm-hmm. interesting because mm-hmm. I think most bands have this five-year narrative, which kind of can just about keep together. You know, especially during that period, because there was such an intensity. You know, most people were doing it with such compassion and such energy, and twenty-four-seven. There was nothing else. So there's mm-hmm. that twelve-month honeymoon period you know, w- rehearsing, rehearsing, writing, getting a single, getting that sort of album out and then doing the touring a bit more outside mm. your normal, you know, friends and family and anybody else you can blackmail to see your band. And then <laughs> things are going well, that's the second, third album. But then the the exhaustion starts to, you know, to creep in. So you, you're at this stage, you know, start to find yourself at that point where the dance scene started to happen in the UK and then you have – Kind of a bit later, you have that world of the Pixies and Throwing Muses, and then Bleach coming out from you know Seattle as well. So it's kind of interesting. You you crafted quite a a different sound to that. Any of those scenes, really?
1: I think so. I mean, we were all big fans of the Pixies. That was that was one shared band that we liked a lot. So I think there was some sort of feeling that that was something to aspire to. Um, But yeah, I think we were always kind of at the point um we the four of us did an interview not that long ago and uh craig put it this way we're always trying to just play a little bit more than we were capable of like we would we would say i can play that but what can i not play and we would just push to that not like in any sort of coordinated effort we were just making it harder on us than it didn't than needed to be because yes. i think we thought that's when we were being innovative that's when it was something new that's when it wasn't just a same old thing. And I think we're right. It's just sort of interesting to kind of couch it that way. Um, and I, I think Craig's perspective is right, because as a musician, you know, a professional musician today, he's got a, a length of uh, memory to kind of in in, in the associations to say, like, when you're working within sort of the space that you're a master of versus when you're trying to, like, figure out what you can't do and and strive for it. And that's kind of all we ever were we weren't really pros and uh in the sense i've never i'm still you know it's still not a professional thing i do i have a full other life that, that <laughs> music is only resurged in uh you know in the last uh, about 6 years you know after yes yeah. it's
0: quite it's quite interesting yes you mm-hmm. you've got one of those classic kind of stories that I've yeah. come across a few people who have done the same but anyway be, but just before we come to yeah. that you do three yeah. albums don't you wish other think at this stage i guess it's four
1: uh we did one on, before discord which was called curse of spell voodoo Mooses. yes it's not that and then we did um oh you do funeral at the movies and get your goat yeah i guess I thought and funeral at the movies were released together on a cd so maybe that's that's where one gets it at that
0: stage i mean mm-hmm. were you at that that point you know having that that intensity what was what was that experience like for you you know going through sort of so much recording and playing
1: i i guess i didn't really i i mean i i didn't really feel a lot of pressure a lot of like like, oh, we got to do this. And it didn't feel like it was doing a lot. I think I was doing exactly what I wanted to be doing. Um, as a matter of fact, if I had, if I've had any regrets since then, I, we didn't do more. Like, we really recorded everything we had. And I feel like we probably could have written, you know, another album's worth of songs if we had more time to do it. And it would have been wonderful. Uh, but, you know, it's complicated to get four people in a room together and write. So, um but uh other than that like it definitely was if it was intense i think it was the kind of intensity i wanted to be doing yeah I, mean, I always wanted to go to band practice i always wanted to play with these guys so
0: and what was i mean what was the relationship like on discord records was that was that generally okay
1: with the label or yeah yeah I mean, with the label oh absolutely yeah uh, we were thrilled to be considered we always kind of felt a little bit outside that scene that we played with discord bands all the time because those are the people we knew um we didn't really see ourselves as fitting the mold but then we found out they didn't have a mold they just had band they were you know excited to have us they they assumed we had already signed somewhere else when we asked them and they said we would have asked you a year ago but thought you were already taken so that worked <laughs> out great and it really did they are um they really just being on discord was a huge advantage for us because people were just interested because even if they hadn't heard of us or heard our music they were like well it's discord let's give it a shot yes i think it was
0: it was Mm -hmm. like 4ad and creation records or sarah records there was the you know sometimes you would take a punt because you thought the the person the owner who was controlling it had a certain taste and a yeah. certain narrative mm-hmm. at that point mm-hmm. did the band at that stage did you get much kind of interest in the uk or europe at at um we during did. that period um,
1: yeah and i think that was especially due to discord because people had heard of us or it would follow the discord label and discord did a great job advertising and all the you know like maximum rock and roll which was read everywhere So we did a tour in 1990 with a band called Sync from the UK, which was formerly The Stupids.
0: Oh,
1: Um, oh my God.
0: I've done an interview
1: with Ed recently. Yeah. Oh, great. Yeah, with Ed. Indeed. Ed was a big big fan. Ed and Stuart met somehow through the hardcore world. And, uh, And so that's how that came together. And Ed... I uh, knew somebody in Germany who put together like a nine-week tour for the two bands all over. Um, was that
0: was that a guy called Thomas? Somebody Thomas?
1: Uh, I don't think it was Thomas. I think it was Taddy, which was Torsten. Does that ring a bell at all? I did no. bizarrely. I did this interview with a guy who had um,
0: he sort of turned up at this gig. It was almost like just before Creation Records. Um, developed and started with Alan McGee they'd gone to a uh, what was it uh, Dan Tracy you know uh gig and um this this German guy was there and they said, oh look, you know when you go back to Germany, could you start sort of putting gigs on for us you know these very small indie bands and he did and uh-huh. it became a kind of career. so I just wondered if you know if he if he was the person who might have helped so Doesn't sound, it. Yeah.
1: howdy was great. I mean he booked the whole thing for us. we felt like you know we couldn't believe it. All we had to do was get ourselves there, and there was a van and a driver and him and the other band. I don't know. We probably played 40 shows. It was great. My you know, goodness, that is
0: fantastic. Yes, yeah. mm-hmm. a dream come true. And how did yeah. the audience in England or Britain sort of um, take to you?
1: I think we did pretty good in England. I think by then uh, there was uh, you know kind of a little bit more of an understanding of who we were and a little bit. We ran into a lot of You're Not a Hardcore Band. And they just didn't like us, you know. They didn't want singing; they wanted shouting. They didn't want melody and and you know m- blended things. They wanted just straight ahead because they wanted. They came to to do you know create a mosh pit and go home tired and sweaty. Oh <laughs> yes,
0: definitely. yes. That, that's so cool. we
1: we didn't have to deal with that in England. Uh, I remember it being very good. Uh, yeah. We and uh, we play, You know, we played all over the place uh i'm trying i can't remember the name of anything except there was a place in leeds that i remember people really The duchess liked. it sounds familiar there's
0: the duchess the warehouse Those are the any places i know from leeds okay. yes but... and 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 there was a cir- there is a sort of well there was a circuit that people did there was yeah. princess charlotte in leicester there was the harlow square um yeah there was yeah brighton yeah every place had right. had an indie night so i guess you you just got on that circuit you went around the country yeah, in your transit van so then it yeah. comes so just kind of on 92 this is the year you bring out um get your goat did mm-hmm. you when you woke up on the 1st of january that year did you know this was going to probably be your last year with the band
1: it was just gotten to the point i'd finished college I'd even started graduate school in New York and um, was just kind of delaying my decision because I could pull it off being in two places at once, um, you know, being in the band and being continuing with school. And eventually what happened is that Craig finished college and he wanted a commitment. And I was like, uh, I don't think so. I don't have the guts for this. <laughs> and I'd already taken a step in the other direction, so I just went in that direction. And they uh, they carried on. So it was a uh, probably an inkling of knowing that was it, but um, you know, I wasn't willing to admit it to myself or anyone else.
0: <laughs> yes, God, a, a hard moment to walk away. What was that? What yeah. did that feel like when you were suddenly no more,
1: no longer part of the band? um i you know i didn't i didn't love making that decision i didn't want it was not i just didn't want to have to make the decision so i would have stayed if i could but i couldn't so i lived with it and moved on and really was okay
0: (laughs) (laughs) it was interesting Um, because recently i did an interview with the a member of chumbawamba dunst and he told me that um the band had been together a long time. They had that sort of one-off hit, which kind of was phenomenal. And then, you know, the, the sort of the arc goes down again and the band get to that point was like, what should we do now? And so half the band leave because they mm-hmm. were the more non-musicians leaving the others to continue. And I did mm-hmm. say, did you find that it difficult knowing that that band, your band, you started Chumbawamba, was still going? And And did you sort of think, oh no just imagine if they become really successful again and I'm not no longer in it and he did say he was kind of relieved that they didn't but with you shudder to think then becomes quite a and bigger act don't it don't they so did that feel kind of tricky at times
1: of course uh I think but not so bad like you know I kind of knew what I wasn't surprised that they were going to be successful, like I mentioned before. And as as people know, Craig Wedren is a unique talent. And so and he was really driven and really could put on a show and write amazing music. And that was good. And I think, you know, what was also happening is he was coming more into it was becoming more his band, you know. And that was one of the reasons I was like, I'm not I don't want to be in somebody's band. I want to be in. My band, you know, not not my band, and everyone's in my thing, but a little bit more like we had been, where it was more even. But there was no reason for him not to do what he did. He just really has an extremely good, talented knack for writing these songs, and still does. And it was obvious that that was the case. And I was like, let it's similar story. Let the prose go. and let them. uh you know I'm not I don't want I could I I mean that was part of the feeling it's like ah we're doing a lot of songs that I didn't write and I feel like I'm becoming a guitar player rather than a songwriter and it felt like not that wasn't what I wanted to be doing so
0: yes Mm -hmm. and then sort of is the guitar and the music sort of put to one side and academia is kind of then full on your next kind of yeah chapter and passion
1: Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it is. It's. is. I've said, okay, now I'm doing this, and this is what I'm doing. i got to make it work. So I learned, you know, I I found a great project to be part of when I was in graduate school. I, you know, worked on it for a few years, and uh, I'm an archaeologist, and there's a lot of ar- ar- archaeological field schools and archaeological teams. I felt like a lot of that band experience was useful being able to kind of be on in, like being in a field site, you know, doing field work is like being on tour, being on a, being, you know, an academic and and working with, a, you know, a collaborative team is like being in a band. There's a lot of overlap that I feel like I've got experience that became generalized and I could apply in my work. And so I've, I've been very happy with the result and thrilled with the work I get to do. Um, I work on uh an archaeology that's about more recent times um you know focused on marginalized communities so we try to bring stories that have been hidden or overlooked or erased back to light and it's very rewarding and i spend as much time as i can with community groups to help you know who have an investment in the work so it's very social for me you know as opposed to ivory tower kind of dig yes. and talk about what you dig and move on I, I it's just and and that's the way the world is working in my area so that, all that's really worked out well and yes so had, you had decent success
0: so. well absolutely you're a professor there's a few mm-hmm. professors from the world of indie pop there was a member of big flame and amelia fletcher who was in Gulf. you are both professors mm-hmm. so there you go it's it's yeah. great to see to uh, come across <laughs> the yes what happens to certain you know musicians and actually most people seem to sort of transfer their skills from being in a band in the 80s to something quite interesting later on so that's good and also brilliant to be telling people's stories as well that the Mm. narrative doesn't get lost and um yes it gives the history a little bit more of a Mm -hmm. a a balance or certainly other voices so then so what happens like six years ago what what sort of was the driving force sort of 2016 that made you feel... It was an
1: accident, um, uh, almost. Uh, my uh, Kevin March, who played in Charter to Think in the la- on the last album as the drummer, toured with them in that era, and now is the drummer in Guided by Voices. Um, he lives in the same town as I do. And we found each other at a musical event where uh, it was a group called Parents Who Rock. So it was a, uh, you know, we live in a suburb outside of New York and we all, all, a lot of people have kids. And the person who organized that, I think, got the impression there's a lot of, you know, musicians who don't get to play anymore because they are got to take care of their kids. So she put together this little occasional get together and uh, I, and she actually put people together and I reached out to her and she found someone who wanted to sing and she and that, that person and he's played at this thing and so did Kevin March and another band he just moved in and was sort of in between acts and his career and he kind of reached out to me by email and he said are you the chris matthews from shutter to think (laughs) because you know chris matthews is not the most distinctive name and i was like are you kevin march from shutter so it was very funny so we played together for a little while uh doing this and that and then basically said let's start writing music together and he is a huge fan of all music. He is the general manager of the school of rock in our, our town. So he's a music educator and he's been part of the school of rock story since the beginning in the city. And um he just has got a knack for making you feel like what you're doing is really great, which I needed to hear after 25 years of not really playing any music with anyone. And he's obviously a big fan of Shutter to Think and he's just kind of said, you know, you've got a sound. There's something about the way you play and how you phrase or whatever. And, you know, we should bring that back because, you know, he he was convinced I still had it. (laughs) So (laughs) I I was not convinced though, but I was taking his word for it. And then we found a neighbor of mine, uh, Frank Gibbons, who was a bass player. And so the three of us played for a few years and then started recording. Uh, our songs and then at some point Kevin encouraged me to sing which is crazy because I never mm-hmm. thought of myself as a singer. Uh, I maybe shouldn't think of myself as a singer but I am <laughs> and uh, and we uh, just kind of kind of grew from there. We were record one song at a time and you know eventually started putting out some singles and, and then uh, Kevin uh, had to commit to Guided by Voices pretty much full-time and so we we haven't we didn't play together any longer but he helped me find uh joe billy and then uh just to keep things interesting jesse krakow who's in the bass player in the band now was also on in the short of think tour band that kevin was in and that was though uh we found each other through another another avenue and so i don't know yeah. All yes, that's all, that's so there's been Indiana. there's been
0: quite a lot. So with this mm-hmm. uh, with the the band, the quiz show, there's been quite mm-hmm. a little bit of shifting of of personnel. But generally, yeah. have you mm-hmm. got a steady band at the moment, or is it going to always be slightly fluid?
1: No, I think the band that I have now with Jesse on bass and Joe on drums and me—that's the band from for the time being until something else happens. But yeah, we're we're all in it. uh I just started playing with Kevin again, but we'll probably call ourselves something else. Uh, yeah yeah because he's he's finding some space again in his life and we're still you know live in the same town so
0: yes well i've been i've been you know i've been listening to the album so Mm -hmm. is this the the is this an album of bits and pieces that you recorded early and then this is a, a collection of new material or is this the collection of everything that
1: you've done no, it's not a collection of everything. It's a collection of everything that we released as singles. We self-released, you know, just, you know, used TuneCore and just put it out ourselves. Uh, and then along the way, we were recording at the, at the uh, with Ray Ketchum uh, at Magic Door Studio, uh, from before it was called Magic Door Studio, when it was at Ray's basement. Um, and, then, and then Ray and Renee Laboo, who are both in the band Elk City and Kevin, decided they would just create a record label because there were bands out there coming to record with Ray that, had you know, didn't have anything to attach themselves to. So it's sort of a very low key construct of a um, record label. But nevertheless, it was sort of when they did that, when they created the label, we did put out two EPs. One's called Geographic and one's called Stole the Sky, and that's with the new lineup. But yes. then Ray suggested, why don't we take all the previous stuff and re-release it? You know, refresh it, remaster it, and everything. Re-release it as an album, so everything's under that one label's umbrella rather than these kind of singles floating out there. So that's yes. what we're. Doing. That's what this is, with one exception: the very last song, which is called Mannequin Sun, has only ever been released on a compilation uh, a year or so ago. That, wow. that is that no one knows so it, it's it's new ish like we didn't release it ourselves
0: that's that, that's kind of the, the the mind of reason and experience is mm-hmm. sort of tidying up your sort of early yeah. material before you yeah, can go exactly. on uh-huh. and then sort of um regret not having it sort of properly archived in the early days because it does sound it's got a very coherent sound and it the songs are all incredibly confident, aren't they? I mean, probably the favorite song at the moment is What If, which is, oh. it just sounds fantastic. But I also love the lyrics of things like Almost Famous and the track Sound of Kissing as well. So, mm-hmm. you know, it does, it does all sort of come together. And it has that element that is kind of shuddered to think with various other, I suppose, with every artist, there is kind of, I was going to say plagiarism or borrowing from other sources, aren't there? So there is kind of lots of sort of bits in there which you kind of think, oh yeah, that reminds me of something else. So sure. um, it's a it's a great album. So you must be very pleased with it.
1: Oh yeah, I'm I'm so pleased. I couldn't feel more lucky. First of all, that I, that this is part of my life after never expecting it. That's why I go on and on about Kevin because he kind of found something that I put in a drawer yeah uh, and uh so he is uh so it's just a thrill, you know, and to be able to feel it like it's you know there's some people out there have an interest in it, which is really great i mean it, its nice to have like the 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 recognition of the shutter to think era kind of come back because obviously it was a huge part of my life for six years or so, and so it's nice to be able to relive that in a way and kind of have like a sense that there is you know that I that I was onto something then and I get to go back to it now, you know, yeah. it's amazing. I, I really do love writing songs and I, I was never a singer or write, you know, melody maker in that sense, but I really enjoyed doing that all of a sudden. Like does I said, feel... I don't know if I'm much of a singer, but I do love coming up with the melodies. I often think maybe I should find someone to sing. <laughs> Dude,
0: <what> <laughs> yes. You could be <laughs> the Johnny Marr finding your Morrissey, I suppose. But, mm-hmm. but does, does it feel that, because you've got it much more, you're holding the baton of this one. Does it feel like you've got much more control and the way you want it to
1: sound? I think so. Though I'm not a very particular, like I, I maybe I am, but I since I'm writing it and since I'm the guitar and it's very guitar fronted, it's probably I'm getting everything I want out of it. Um, and uh, like I, um, but I do. I think I. I think it would be difficult. Honestly, especially now that I'm older, to kind of be like a, somebody's guitar player, like and like have someone throw some songs at me and saying like, "What can we do something?" I don't know. I I don't have a ton of time for that, um, uh, <laughs> but uh, it's not sitting there. And I'm getting I'm getting where I want to go with this. You know, pick up a, an acoustic guitar for ten minutes, and if something sticks, put it in my phone. Get back to it later, and then maybe there's a song in there. Yes, and that's, that's the process.
0: So. so is it the case then the melody comes first and then the lyrics next?
1: Do you sort of yes? The guitar comes way? first, actually. Then then this either the melody comes out of that and then the lyrics last, yeah.
0: Yes. I and mean, your sort of time was sort of focusing on your, you know, academia, was there any particular band or artists that you were kind of consuming quite a lot, which has had a sort of influence on this uh, new new project?
1: Uh Built to Spill. That's the band that really I've discovered in that period when I wasn't playing that I was like, this is the greatest. I love them. I still do. And they're just I uh and somebody came up to me without knowing I like them and said, You guys are like built to spill. So I was like, oh wow. And they, <laughs> they picked a song that was like, sure. <laughs> I don't know. I, I I would I'm not sure. I see the built to spill in that, but it's it's not that it's not there no so, and yeah. what does what do your sort of
0: old you know um bandmates think does has craig listened or heard the record
1: oh sure yeah uh i think when he first heard uh either and i must have been sounded Kissing" because i'm singing he uh he called me and he was like what is what is this how are you doing this And, uh, you know, because Craig knows Kevin very well, uh, so and then so we've actually thought Kevin and I are trying to figure out if there's a way we can get Craig to sing with us at all. um, and We haven't been able to pull it off yet, uh, but it might happen. Uh, But yeah, there he was really excited for it and, you know, happy to see that this is going on and he thinks it's good, which is nice. Yes. And, uh, and, and, you know, and Mike Russell had a really nice comment. He was like, I heard, I knew the guitar immediately, but I couldn't believe it when I heard the voice. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, that's quite, that's quite a nice little touch. Isn't it having that compliment because singing is quite a, it's quite a raw and quite exposed feeling. I know Jimi Hendrix didn't enjoy being sort of, uh, he he wanted to be in a booth with no one yeah. watching him when he did his vocals. So, so when did you discover that you know you had a, a singing voice
1: during that period it's, it's a great question i i think i think kevin just said why don't you sing this i think i was i think i was probably like care of this idea for the melody like i never even i wasn't writing melodies or anything like the band if you listen to pom-pom boy and withstand he's the lead vocal and um in withstand, there's a middle part where I sing. And that and now that I'm remembering it, that's kind of where he was like, you know, you have a really distinctive voice. Let's like, let's put you in the center. He always he thinks he doesn't. He's like, I, I can sing, but I don't have no one, you know, it's a run-of-the-mill average voice. And he was like, You've got something else, so let's try that. And then we tried it. And I, I think the he and Ray were like, you know, you should just keep singing. This is gonna work. <laughs>
0: So keep things. Have you got de- uh, plans for live shows as well?
1: Yeah, we're gonna play a few times in. Uh, in it's probably in May and over the summer. Right now, Jesse is uh, in, out of town working on a business deal because he, you know, like he is also a musician by career. So he's trying to make things work here, here and there. So he'll be back in the middle of April and we'll pick up again. I think we have a show in early May and then uh, one in June and one in July. That's about all we do. We're not a. So, with uh, with
0: experience and also the last 20, 30 years of academia, uh have you or do you feel a little bit more confident on, on the creative process in the sense of moving on, thinking, let's have an idea? I haven't, you know, I can't waste too many hours, days on this project. On this particular moment, so I'm just going to get it done, and then just sort of wake up the next day, see what it's like, and then move on again. do you, Do you feel a little bit more haven't uh, have That's a good way of describing it. it. Yeah,
1: I, I. But I've always been impatient. I've never enjoyed spending so much time in the studio recording things and trying to refit you know, make it work right. I have a lot of faith in like Ray to mix it the way I want it to be. I've very rarely gone in and said I didn't. You know, let's adjust it. He's a, kind of got what we're trying to do um and but yeah i have an impatience i need to get i need to be finished with this so i can get on to the next thing it comes yes. from parenting too,
0: right? <laughs> <laughs> and did you? I mean, probably not last Christmas. The Christmas before, there was the documentary film that came out on the Beatles, just the eight-hour. Is it Peter Jackson film? Mm. Um, then in the sort of recording their last album together, and that kind of interesting creative process. I just wondered right. if you if you watched it or watched bits of it, and and how much you could relate to aspects of seeing you know four people and a producer and various other pe other musicians putting together you know different songs and and the way they came together I just wondered if you'd sort of um, saw that film and and if you could relate to much of it
1: I watched uh, you know maybe 20 or 30 minutes I don't know if it was the first one I can't remember what song they were working on but it was if I could ever if I could do anything musically that I don't get to do, it is to be able to go in and and honestly have that space and time where you can just sit and work on it so even though I said I'm impatient and I want to get on to the next thing that might be also circumstance. I don't have a lot of time to record and let alone a lot of money to put into the pot you know to, yeah. to put behind it and so um but it would be amazing to sit and like try it and figure it out and think about it. And, come back the next day and see what it feels like. I don't know I don't even know how I would respond since I've never had the chance but it's but we I've said that like if only we had you know a week to record this song and then figure out what it is or add the parts here and there make sure everything is perfect um yes. it seems like uh, after saying that that I never wish. I guess with some shudder to think things, I think I've wished things were slightly different, but that was definitely rushed. And, you know, we're definitely didn't have the money to keep going. But uh, with the music I'm making now, it really feels much more complete. I'm never like, oh, I wish we'd done that. Or I wish I played a better, you know, lick here or something. I kind of either like it the way it comes out or it just is not a problem.
0: Maybe that's also
1: getting older too.
0: <laughs> well there's I guess yeah urgency and everything like that so when you you know like a track like what if which is you know probably my favorite in the album what was the process of that coming together can
1: you remember how you created that one um so yeah I that one um just starts with that guitar you know that that heavy chunky swinging guitar if swinging is the right word And then uh, a minor seventh up top and just to kind of give it a sort of a difficult dissonance. And then uh, mostly my writing is like just kind of my fingers do the talking and all of a sudden I'm doing something I like it and I do it again and I figure out how to make it get into the next step. But I do remember the chorus in that was an interesting sequence, different than I normally do with sort of chord progression. And I think Kevin helped me figure that out. I think he said, like, just do that last bit halfway again. And so we did that, and that's how it came together. And then the funny thing, the middle of that song uh in the bridge is uh, is a guitar line from one of the very first Shutter to Think songs, which was called Abysmal Yellow Popcorn Wall, because we right. all think it's our first name, how sad that name is, but it was a beautiful song. <laughs> but um yeah. It's just sort of stuck in there. I was, I, I, you know, that was just for fun. I think that was when I was like, yeah, I'm playing with Kevin. Let's do A little try to think thing, you know, right. and it hit the song and then it just goes back into it. So I think, you know, I, Kevin is a, another gifted musician. And so he just kind of has something he loves to write music too. Uh, he really does to, you know, to play his, he. I bring in the guitar and then he loves to write the drums right there and, you know, try and figure it out. And he really comes up with that stuff almost off the top of his head. So that's yes. that's the luck of the draw for me to have a drummer like that.
0: Amazing. And mm. and sort of the the other song, which is am kind of curious about, because that's much more the lyrics got me all um, sort of were much more memorable, was almost famous. Mm. So did the lyrics appear before the music on this occasion, or did it? Was it definitely the melody then? The, then then
1: the lyrics. Definitely a melody. I think. Um, I think just just the words almost famous popped out of my mouth when when I was you know not singing nonsense and then I said I'll just build something around that and then you know um, there's I mean that one I mean came together pretty well I mean I was just trying to write up something about all of our songs and uh, and that one was kind of like you know it's just like. The being almost, or the the being not quite yet. That was that's the part I love. The no, not quite yet. <laughs> just I don't know. It just was like that's right, no, not quite. <laughs> yes, to kind of capture you. that feeling in some way.
0: It's a great, you know, it's a great sentiment, and I enjoyed it. And just lastly, I mean, because you know, um, just the sound of kissing. What was what was that process? How did this one come together?
1: Uh, very similarly, starting with a guitar, and then. Um, I mean, all that guitar part was pretty much written uh, as a, a you know the the different the sequence of the the parts we go through, and we just plugged um, it together. And I mean, you may have noticed it just does the same three parts: one, two, three; one, two, three; one, two, three. There's there's no uh, variation, and so it just kind of felt like just going to play this song and make it go. And it had that feel. The only thing I added, I mean, I, I add this and, you know, guitar parts in the studio, but I've, I remember driving, listening to a demo and I sang, I was singing what I ended up playing as a slide guitar in the, in the, in the verse. right? Uh, and I was like, you know, that's fun. I'll do it on the slide <laughs> because I figured out what I was singing on the guitar. Cause I wasn't, it wasn't going to be a vocal melody. And then I tried it with the slide and that was, that was great. I remember Ray didn't have a slide, so I had to go out and buy one.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes. Was that kind of, had, you know, picking up the guitar again, how quickly did it all sort of slip into place?
1: Like I never stopped.
0: Right. I, I mean,
1: I, I, I still had the same instruments, the same amp from the Shutter to Think days. I just kept it unconsciously, even though I've lived in a million different places and I had to carry it everywhere I went. And, um, and so I didn't stop playing guitar, but it was I never I didn't play much. And yeah, it's something it's there.
0: Yeah. Well, I think I'm better just, now than I was. So it was just before Christmas, I did an interview. It was the, the woman who was in um Dexie's Midnight Runners. Um mm. she played the violin fiddle. Helen O'Hara, who's also brought out a book, and and again she had that experience of putting the instrument to one side and then for quite a period of time. And it was quite an emotional thing of getting out again and and sort of reconnecting and thinking, God, this is the instrument that you know she played all through her childhood went to university to learn to be in a classical concert you know in a classical orchestra ended up mm-hmm. being in Dex's Midnight Runners you know that was her thing for years and years and decades mm-hmm. and then you know it goes in the the cupboard and then one day she brings it out and there's this kind of sort of relationship you know and, and an mm-hmm. emotional kind of thing to to navigate did you ever had that with your guitar sort of Looking at it, you know, getting it, you know, getting the case out of the cupboard and then opening it, thinking, "Wow, that's 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 quite a little object here. This could be one of those, you know, space oddity moments." You know, the, the
1: right. I don't know. I don't know if I'm that complicated. <laughs> 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 I carried them around. To, I mean, if I did, it's just suppressed. I carried around because I wasn't I had no reason to get rid of them, but no plans to use them. Uh they're too they're beautiful. I have a telecaster and a list, Paul. That's what I still have. And uh they're just, you know, and I I had the amp, so occasionally I'd get to play and I would just make it really loud and it was fun. Cause I was that was the part I, you know, one of the things that was the best about it was being in front of all this noise. Yeah, mm-hmm. the, the the feeling of it in my body. Uh when I got to start playing with Kevin again, I was like, God, I missed playing with a drummer, you know, <laughs> just from that. The pumping sound and in, in, you know in, in your body in your chest is it just i don't know it's i whatever that's doing i like what it's doing so
0: yes well i, I remember <laughs> i think it was fast eddie who for motorhead i did an interview with him and he said you know that power that you had you know the yeah. band, you know kind of you almost had to lean back into the sound because it was kind yeah. of it was good to knock you off your feet. So, mm-hmm. you know, there was that rush. And I guess you right. also get that same experience yeah. of mm-hmm. feeling it sort of vibrationally sort of going through you. Right, yeah. It's the best. It's the best. So what, <laughs> I mean, you've obviously got the album, which is still, you know, coming out mm-hmm. and then some live dates. Are you also still sort of putting together new material for the next project as well? Oh, for sure.
1: Uh, there's a long list of um uh, phone recordings that will become songs and i've got with jesse and joe we've got three in the works and we might we might pause at three record them and put out another ep or we might wait until we have more and do something like an album we'll see yeah uh, and then i just mentioned i just started playing with kevin again just last week you know we got finally got together and um i've got a whole bunch of other songs that we had been working on sort of it was actually, we have a recording from March 3rd, 2020, just before the shutdown, the shutdown. Um, a yes. couple of songs. <laughs> and we just, we're just trying to get back to them and there's some others. And uh, so I'm, I'm my hope, yes, is that Quiz Show will continue and we'll have that kind of music and there might be something else, a little parallel with Kevin, we'll call ourselves something else and we'll, you know it's great to raise studio magic door is just it's you know a five minute drive from my house and we can all just meet up there and make it happen
0: make it so, all happen so yeah, last, it will continue it will oh brilliant well this is this yeah. is great stuff so just last question i mean if you could have whispered something to you like your 16 16 year old self starting out in this interesting world is there anything in particular that you might have just thought oh yeah that uh, that would have been a good thing to have thought about even if that 16 year old would have just ignored an old person saying (laughs) something but i just wondered if there were a few little you know pointers that you would have been thought you know would have been pleased to have known back then
1: gosh I have to, I have a 17-year-old and a 20-year-old, and I can't remember what I told them. So <laughs> um, let's see. I think if I had told myself anything, it would have been, uh, you know, I guess it's a little bit of the figure out a way to keep music more in your life than you're going to. Find more people to play with. Don't let it disappear for that long period of time. But it, I'm in a position where I got it back and and felt like I didn't miss anything. Yes. Um, Yeah. And, um, you know, I I don't know what else. Let's see. Definitely. I married the right person. Excellent. (laughs) (laughs) I I really like what I do. I I think, you know, I have, uh, I I lost a brother along the way, so I could say like, you know, maybe there was something I could have done there, um, but I'm not sure.
0: No. Yeah, it's life, but, you it? know,
1: it's it that I, I, that wisdom stuff is harder to come by, I, I think, because, like I said, I'm not complicated
0: enough. Yes. Well, no, <laughs> it's fine. I mean, most people keep it. Maybe like... that's it. Like,
1: don't don't try to be more than you are. You know, figure out who you are and and figure out how to make that work, which is what I eventually did, and I probably was trying way too hard when I was sixteen.
0: Yes. Well, that's yeah. good. Well, mm-hmm. look, Chris, thank you ever so much for your time. This has been amazing. Brilliant. So, uh, And that, we'll have to stop it there. I know it just has an emotional goodbye, which you don't need to hear. But anyway, massive thank you to Chris Matthews for giving me the time for that interview with talking about the new album and band Quiz Show, which um, is available via Bandcamp. I'll give you the link of that below. This has been the C86 Show, David E. So if you want to contact me, you can on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, just do C86 Show. All these interviews have been archived. You can find those on Spotify, iTunes, Podbeam. It's true. Have a great week. Stay safe.